Hi, I'm Akina. And I'm Laurel. And this is Jane Austen Culture Night. In this week's episode, you will find the Roman Empire, casual kidnapping, and tear-stained pillows. There will be spoilers and maybe some cursing. This week, we're reading chapters 11 and 12 in Northanger Abbey. Okay, so here's what I want to know, because I hyped up this chapter last time. Was it as mortifying as I described? Um, (laughs) I feel like it was mortifying, but in my head, I had this crazy scenario where I was like, oh my God, like somehow she's going to like show her ass literally or figuratively like, It was mortifying. I do feel like I was like kind of worried that it would get worse. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, that's all she did. You know what I thought about? Okay. Maybe we can go talk about this when uh, we do the recap or if we're recapping now. But I just feel like she handled it actually much better than I would have. And I would have made the situation way worse. So if I think about <laughs> me in that situation, yeah, it's like, it like deep, it like really stresses me out. Uh, yeah, I, that's what's mortifying about it is that I can yeah. relate so hard. <laughs> and I yeah. like feel the anxiety. So I think about this chapter, this like moment, like, all like as the kids say this is my roman empire i think about it all the time (laughs) and like i'm just like oh Oh, what is so what is the thing with the roman empire it's like people are yeah what so uh, you know somebody asked their boyfriend or husband like how often do you think about the roman empire and they'd be like "Mm, at least once a week and They'd be like, what? Why? And then so all these women started asking their partners, their male partners, like, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And a lot of men were like, yeah, I think about it all the time. I think about it like twice a week or like, you know, and everyone's like, what? How? how, Why? How? What? And then so now it's like a thing that like, Uh, like, oh, this is my Roman Empire is like the thing that I think about all the time randomly. Nice. Okay. Um. But uh, anyway, yeah, in in my relationship, I feel like I'm the one, if anyone who thinks about the Roman Empire, which I do. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I'm actually not a a gendered thing, but yeah, but it is highly it's yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I'm sure I think about the Roman Empire like a grillion times more than Andrew does. Yeah. I, I definitely do. I'm not actually super in the Roman Empire. I'm more like into like Greek and like prehistoric societies, but I am feeling that maybe this isn't so, uh, maybe that's getting too nitty gritty and yeah. uh, missing the point. So I'm going to just say like, yes, I, uh, I mean, I even just yesterday I was Googling like, the history of the cornucopia which is like a roman greek yes. uh kind of 
Well, it's also from Western Asia. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> All of those cultures had a lot. The Roman Empire, because of the Roman Empire, <laughs> that colonized parts of all of these places and they had trade routes everywhere. Okay, and now we are a podcast about the Roman Empire. <laughs> um, speaking of the Roman Empire, Bath was a uh, Roman. Truly. Truly. <laughs> So here we are. We're back in Bath, everyone. That is named that because of the Roman baths from the, the Roman Empire times when they colonized part of Britain. Okay. I feel like we're just peeling back this top layer of Jane Austen and we're like, it's all Roman Empire underneath. All roads lead to Rome. You know. Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, we're in Bath. Um, okay. So where we ended, um, she had just uh, gotten to dance with Henry Tilney. They've arranged to go on a country walk together, her and <gasps> yes. Henry and Eleanor. And uh, so she's waiting um, the next day, really anxious, like watching the skies, watching the weather because she's afraid it might rain. And um, the sky is kind of cloudy, but she's like, oh, I think it'll clear up. Maybe not. She's like asking everybody, do you think it's going to clear up? Is there going to be rain? Is it going to be too muddy to go? What should we do? Um, and in, uh, around 11 o'clock, it does start raining. And so she's upset, but is still hoping it'll clear up. And then about 20 minutes after after 12, which is when they were supposed to take the walk, it's still raining. And she's like, oh, I guess we're not going to go on the walk because it's raining and, uh, you know, they haven't come yet. So uh, she's disappointed. But then she sees um, once again two open carriages coming down the lane. And it's her brother and Isabella and John Thorpe. And they come and say that they are going to go to Clifton, um, which is it used a to be a little New Jersey, which is a town in New. It's actually two towns in New Jersey. <laughs> what? There's another Clifton? Clifton. Oh no, it's Clinton that I'm thinking of. There's two. Oh Clintons. yeah. There's one. Yeah, there There's probably two is two Cliftons. But yes, the Clifton is a town in New Jersey, but it's also, or at least used to be, a little town like on the way to Bristol. So they're like driving towards Bristol, um, and. Uh, they're like, oh, we really want to go, um, come with us. And but Catherine's still holding out hope that maybe the rain will clear up and that um, the Tilneys will come later after the rain stops. So she's like, no, I can't go. I'm still waiting for them. Um, and they're really trying to convince her to go. And uh, they mention Blaze Castle, which piques her interest of like, oh, we're going to go see this castle. And like, is it is it really? She's like, oh, it's it's like a gothic castle, like the ones that I read about. And he's like, yes, of course. We're going to go see the castle. Let's go. But she's still like, mm, I can't. I promised. And if they come, I don't want to not be here. And then John Thorpe uh, says, well, I saw... You're waiting for the Tilneys. I saw... Uh, Henry Tilney 
in a carriage with another girl and they were heading towards some other place. So obviously they're not coming. And she's like, what? That's weird. Um, Okay. So they convince her to get in the carriage. He like, he keeps going on and on about like, oh yeah, of course. Like, she's like, I don't really, that doesn't make sense. And he just keeps saying like, oh, and then like, she's like, maybe it was someone else. He's like, no, I know what he looks like. He was the one dancing with you. And I saw him and he, and he talked to this other man and the, like, it's this really long story. Yeah. And then also she's like, well, maybe he was going somewhere and then is going to come back when it stops rain because of the rain. Mm -hmm. And so he he still might come later. And then he's like, oh, no, no. I heard him say they were going all the way to Wix Rock, which is like a a place that has like really nice views. And, you know, it's one of those like overlook places you would go to. And so he'll be gone all day. And yeah, it's this whole long thing. And then finally they convince her to come. Uh, So she gets in the carriage and they start heading down the street. And exactly that moment as they start driving away, she sees Henry and Eleanor like they go past them in the carriage and they look back at her and see her in the carriage. And she's like, no, there they are. Stop, stop, stop. And uh, John Thorpe is like, no, that's not them. And just like keeps going. And she's yelling at him to stop, but he like goes faster. And And it goes on for a while. I really feel the like terror. Like, yes. Where, uh, She's really asking him. She's like, I'm sure that's them. Please, please stop the carriage. I want to go back. I need to go back. And and he just refuses it. He's just like, he just kind of laughs at her and just keeps going. Yeah. And goes faster and faster. And then she's like, how could you tell me that they were gone? Like, obviously it wasn't true. And he's like, oh, I thought I I could have sworn it was them. You know, it looked exactly like him. She's like, "Uh, no, (laughs) obviously you lied. It feels like, I don't know, maybe I'm reading into it, but it feels like he's portrayed as like being very kind of sly and just like kind of joking around um, or like... It's pretty, it feels pretty obvious to me that he like made up this like weird lie and, and, and is like totally unembarrassed about it. Oh yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. So she's like despondent and upset and, um, and then it turns out they don't even go to the castle, which she has already decided she's like nothing can make anything up like it, it wouldn't make anything up to her but she's yeah. um she's really only- really really upset but yeah um, she's like i'm stuck there's nothing i can do at least we're gonna see the castle they're gonna go to this castle and then it turns out um they've headed it, out too late it's getting dark so they have to turn yeah. back yeah yeah so um Catherine's brother John John is his name James. or James James is like hey we're gonna need to turn back it's getting too late and yeah. so they turn around and Catherine is just miserable yeah 
And then uh, John starts complaining about like, oh, if if your brother had a better horse, we would have made it because it would have gone faster. And then like um, uh, this happened in the other chapter and we didn't mention it, but like, uh oh, anti-Semitism. Yeah. 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 He's talking about, uh, you know, why can't James afford a horse and he should get. Uh, a better horse and then uh, you know Catherine's like he can't afford a, a horse like what are you talking about and um, this is where we like we ob- we've gotten hints of it before but that like he obviously thinks that the Morelands are rich and he keeps saying uh, you know comparing uh, them being rich to being Jewish, which is... I feel like, no, it's the Tilneys that get compared later, right? The first time, the first time, yes. Oh, okay. But this time, is it, is it... No, no, I think it is, is the it Tilneys both, in the next times? chapters. Okay, all right. Or, or at least this time, he mentions it in a little bit. But yeah, so we'll... we'll so... He is not. Um, oh, maybe it is in the next chapter when he's talking when yeah. he's talking to the uh, general Tilney or something. Yeah. But, so um, more, he says, yeah. So he thinks that Catherine's brother should keep a horse and gig of his own, which it feels like the Morelands. They're not like penniless like the Bennett. Right. right. They're like they seem like decently well up. Like I would think of them as like charlotte lucas's family like the lucas lodge Hmm. and everything from pride and prejudice where it's like her father is a uh uh not a farmer but no he's um he's a church he's the oh is he a clergyman he's a clergyman i think so he's but they have a lot of kids and they're out in the cut they don't have like a huge estate they're yeah. not at this the the levels of the Allens who are like, um, yeah, who are like really the the really rich ones. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, and I feel like clergymen are usually like second or third sons of really yes. well-to-do families. So it's like she they fit in, and Catherine doesn't feel like I feel like she doesn't feel really ashamed of their status at all right um uh but she is aware that like yeah her brother probably doesn't have enough money to like keep a whole carriage and like stable of horses the way some men his age or some of his classmates at oxford do right um yeah so uh they get back and um and And Isabella wants to play cards with everyone and kind of just like ignores the fact or is like seems blissfully unaware of the fact that Catherine is actually like super miserable. Um, And Catherine is just very excited to go to bed and 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 just cry her eyes out when she's alone. Poor, poor girl. And not only that, she finds out when she gets home that (gasps) the Tilneys did stop at her house and we're told that she had already left and uh you know they they said do you want to leave a card and Eleanor didn't have a card and so they just left so she's like mortified um and then um 
she can't even is it that night that they go out to the theater or is it the next um, day it's the next day okay. or yeah yeah it's the next day where oh god it just gets worse and worse and worse so Catherine is just mortified because she had been so excited to go on this walk with the Tilneys just checking the clock and then and then John Thorpe came with a crazy uh, a story about how the Tilneys had left town that day and so she got scammed onto going on this like almost like a wild goose chase yeah and and now she knows that the Tilneys, like, she committed a huge blunder, and the Tilneys probably think she doesn't care about them at all. And yeah. she has no idea what to do. Um, oh, that's so, right. So that morning she goes, uh, as yeah. soon as she feels appropriate, she goes to the Tilneys' place. And yeah, tries- she finds out where they live from the pump room, and she, like, tracks them down, and she knocks on their door and then she's like ask if miss telney is home and the and the servant is like oh yeah i think so and so Catherine gives her the servant her calling card and then the servant comes back and says oh i'm sorry miss telney isn't actually home she just left and Catherine realizes that like she's been uh like snubbed essentially like oh like this like miss tony probably is home but doesn't want to see her and that's made absolutely clear because Catherine leaves the house and then like looks back at the house and then up at the windows and then because she's like i bet Catherine is like watching me or something and then she sees out of the corner of her eye, Catherine and no, not Eleanor, Catherine, Eleanor, Miss Tilney and her and uh, and her father um, leaving the house. Yeah. And Catherine is I feel like she's like about to throw up or something. She's just yeah. so mortified, but then also like angry. She's like, isn't that almost worse than what I did. But then she like wants to explain herself to Miss Tilney and she's just uh yeah, she just has she's a bundle like, of emotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, oh, she's so mad at me for what I did yesterday. And yeah, so she's so anxious. And so that happens. And then later that night they go to the theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is when she sees um, Henry and Eleanor and their father. I don't know if... Or is Eleanor there? I think maybe she's not there. It's just Henry. Yeah. And his father. Um, And uh, they kind of like notice each other during the play. And he he just gives like a polite nod and then like looks away and doesn't look at her. And she's like, Oh no. And, uh, and then uh, he comes over to her to like, say hello to like be polite, but he's being very cold. And it's essentially like he goes from his box where it's just like him and his dad to come and say hello to like her whole group. So it's not like he's singling her out. Yeah. 
But like in in the rules of politeness, he needs to come and say hello to her entire group. Yes. And um, so she's trying to talk to him and he's like being just kind of like very cold, like polite, but very cold. And she immediately bursts into like, oh, my God, I am so sorry about what happened. Like you Mm -hmm. must be so mad at me. It wasn't my fault. He like John Thor basically like kidnapped me and he lied about saying that you had left and I would have much rather been with you. Henry is like, just, I feel like completely bowled over and immediately just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, like he's, he, try, he's trying to be mad and then he just like can't because she's like, I would have 10,000 times much rather been with you. And it's, just like, <laughs> it's so cute. And then he she's like, she's like, I feel so bad. I wanted to apologize to Eleanor this morning. And I know she must hate me because she didn't see me. And then Henry is like, oh, actually. Um, she was really sad that she couldn't see you today. What happened was that, um, my father had plans to go out with her and they were just about to leave and he didn't want to change his plans. So, uh, you know, she was really sad to miss you and, um, actually, believe me, she she wasn't mad at all. She thought, oh, it must have been a misunderstanding. And I'm sure that Catherine has an explanation and we'll we'll find out later. She wasn't mad at all. So, you know, no worries. And Catherine's like, oh, my gosh, like, that's great. I'm I'm so glad. But uh, then Catherine's like, well, if Eleanor was not mad at me, and and like gave me the benefit of the doubt. Why were you so mad? <laughs> and he's like, me mad? What? I I'm not. And she's like, well, anybody who saw your face would not have thought you weren't mad <laughs> the way that you looked at me. And uh, and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not mad at all. Uh, it's so great. <laughs> and then he's like. And then he's like, move over. And so he decides to sit next to her to like prove that he's not mad. He sits next to her and then they talk for the um, and then they talk about the play for a while. So it seems like everything's papered over. One thing that stresses me out is that she Catherine like looks over and realizes John Thorpe is talking to Henry Tilney's father and they look very familiar with each other. And um, that fucking stresses me out because who knows what John Thorpe is telling Mr. Like, he's probably like, oh, yeah, I'm engaged to Catherine. And like probably all his weird dumb shit that like fucking. Yeah, I don't know what's yeah. happening. It's, well, it's- he does come over afterwards when, mm-hmm. when like I think it's like during intermission or something that they're all kind of mingling. And then yeah. everybody comes back to their seat. And so then he comes back to the box with Catherine and is like. She's like, I didn't know you knew General Tilney. And he's like, oh, yeah, we've just been acquainted. And guess what we were talking about? You. And uh, he's basically like bragging about, you know, hanging out with her. And and he's talking about how like, oh, yeah, General Tilney thinks that you're like the prettiest girl in Bath. And I said, yes, me too, of course. And they're like, and she's like, what? What are you talking about? (laughs) 
Well, she's very excited that General Tilney has a good opinion of her. Um, She seems to totally like not even register what John John Thorpe's compliment to her. Um, yes, because she's, she's, she's like, I don't with, want that compliment. <laughs> yeah, she's just so excited that Henry Tilney's father should think that she's like uh, a good person or uh, yeah. That, um, and then and John Thorpe is like, oh, yeah, I've played billiards with General Tilney. And oh, um, yeah. And like, I really like him and and I totally beat him. It's one of those like tall tales that he, that we've gotten used to with uh with John Thorpe yeah. where he's like he's like I've I was against I, I was playing against these guys in billiards and I totally won by like 10,000 points or whatever and you're just like okay and yeah. then he's talking about the Tilneys and that's where we get the, yes that's the where we get the, the anti-semitic remarks which I, yeah this is the second time he said that same phrase and it's obviously uh you know obviously those sentiments were around during that time um but you know in this context and you know jane austen is using it as a device to like make this guy even more like awful and yeah because i I feel like i haven't seen it so he says a very so he's talking about Til, uh, General Tilney, Henry Tilney's father, and he says, "A very fine fellow, as rich as a Jew." Yeah, I should like to dine with him. I dare say he gives famous dinners, and so I feel like this is a phrase I haven't seen much like use of in her other novels, no, not at and all. it feels very um interesting that it's the character that saying is also the only one that i've really seen like curse in her in the yes. novels and also like use a lot of slang um yeah and so it definitely jumps out as like just like yeah like you said another signifier that like this guy um is a trash person. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that, that ends the, the chapters essentially is, um, is John Thorpe talking about General Tilney and Catherine just being very excited for what General Tilney thinks of her. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I feel like there's a, these chapters again are pretty short and like so many things happen. And I just keep thinking of like how I would have reacted, which is like, I just feel like Catherine's like guilelessness, like totally works in her favor where she just like runs up to the Tilneys and is like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And she like smooths everything out where I would have been like mortified and not sure what to say. And just like, made the situation way worse and gotten Mm. in my head and like yeah so I'm like good for you Catherine because I would have like that was a mess and you like somehow just like almost like Kool-Aid man just like (laughs) ran through (laughs) that problem (laughs) in a way that like I don't think like it's like the kind of problem honestly like 
in Pride and Prejudice, that would have been like the whole story. You yes. know, like I was thinking about Pride and Prejudice yeah. during this. I was like, oh my God, this is so different. Like Catherine, it just comes out and says whatever is happening. She just goes straight to the point. Whereas, yeah, like Darcy and Lizzie would never. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it would have just, it, it would have been, it was like that one slight that Darcy gave Lizzie at the beginning of the first dance that like, we return over and over and over to yeah. for like a yeah. hundred pages. <laughs> yes. like, yeah, instead, this feels like it's like wrapped up in like, you know, 12 hours. Yeah. Um, it's also a very like fun uh twist on the whole like gothic heroine thing that Jane Austen is doing throughout this whole novel because it's like um uh you know the 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 women in you know Udolpho or or a lot of the or like a, an Anne Radcliffe novel would be like yeah, very like proper and aware of social uh, of these social yes. things, and they would never like speak at, or or they would have to like build up to it over like many 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 chapters of like learning how to stand up for themselves and like fainting and suffering in silence, and then like all of this stuff just like happening to them. Whereas Catherine is just yeah, she just like barrels through it without any like self-consciousness she's just like i have to fix this right now please like don't yeah <laughs> yeah i really feel in my bones like how Catherine and i are very different but also come from that very similar place of being like sheltered in some aspects and slowly realizing that the people around you are like not people you can necessarily count on yeah. And um and these chapters feel it very keenly. I feel like she deals with this in a way again that like I wouldn't have, but like it feels like by now she's realized like you know, this John Thorpe character is absolute trash. She doesn't she's um she real like Isabella and and her brother, you know, say he's great, but he's not. Yeah. And um and also the Allens are really really irritating. Um, <laughs> like she basically tells Mrs. Allen, like, oh no, I see John Thorpe's carriage coming. I don't want to go with them. Like, yeah. can you like, like I promise to go on a walk. Can you make sure like you know, Catherine doesn't have a ton of agency. And if right. Mrs. Allen as the older chaperone, what, and like the parental figure, if she was like stepping up and more aware of what was going on, she could have helped steer Catherine away from this crazy John Thorpe character. Yeah. Who I'm sure like any decent parental figure would have seen with like an alarm bell on, like on the other side of the pump room, he's like, yeah, he doesn't tone down his like crazy language in front of women. No, he doesn't. It's not like he's one of these nice guys who's like who like puts on this like perfect face to like and like has manners in front of some people and not others. He he's not Wickham. Right. He's like, right. He's just like a fucking asshole. No, he's like out there brash just completely, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it so, into worse. 
And Mrs. Allen was like, fine, go with them. Like, it, there's this really in, interesting interchange, like the first couple pages of chapter 11, where Catherine's talking to Mrs. Allen about like whether she thinks it will keep raining. Because Catherine is super yeah. invested and in being totally a classic teenager where she keeps saying like, oh, I think I think it will get. I think it will clear up and I can go on my walk. And she's just so excited to go on her walk. And then it starts to rain. And then every five minutes, she's like, okay, I'll see if it's raining again in five minutes. And, <laughs> and, and if it's not raining, like, and maybe it will stop in the next five minutes. But if it doesn't, then I'm going to give up all hope. And of course, five minutes later, she's like, okay, it's still raining, but maybe it will stop in five minutes and yeah. then I'll give up all hope. And yeah. Alan, Mrs. Allen just kind of like is so wishy-washy. She's just like, oh, I'm sure it will clear up. And then five minutes later, she's like, no, I told you it's going to rain all day. And then five minutes later, she's like, oh, yes, I agree. It's probably going to clear up. And it's just like, I don't know. I I really don't like, and we've talked about this before, in some Jane Austen novels or just novels of this time period, like it feels like Jane Austen is always putting people in categories of yeah. like, of like this person has like a noble forehead, which means that they are a good person, you know? Yeah. And, and this person is like a low born, like a Harriet Smith type who like, can't, can't, um, I don't know. It's like, it's like they just characterize these people as like good or weak based on like forehead types or, or some weird eugenics thing um, of lowly birth. And it irritates me, but sorry, I'm going down this weird rabbit hole, but like, <laughs> I feel like in this novel, you see people like Mrs. Allen and John Thorpe where you're like, these people are irritating and like you can tell that Jane Austen doesn't think they have the character that they should. Yeah. But you really see like the destruction that they leave in their wake. Yeah. Where you're like, this isn't. This their isn't actions, their actions are what makes them annoying. Yes. Or afraid. Yeah. Where. It's it's not just that like John Thorpe isn't a polite guy who doesn't know all the steps to the dance and you know right but these signify that like he like literally kidnaps Catherine yes he, she lies to her him. yeah and, yeah she's begging him to stop the carriage and he laughs at her and goes faster and faster and it just there's something about that that feels so violent. Yeah. Um, because it is, it and is. it, it like, it's giving me goose thumbs out. Like it stresses me out so much to read that chapter where I'm like, this girl is like, it just feels like all these horror stories you hear about, like, you know, people getting in random cars thinking that they're Ubers and then they're being yeah. driven away or, you know, just feels like, like who knows what could have happened there. And, yeah. um, it's just really, really upsetting. And yeah. Um, Mrs. Allen, to me, like, she's just really aloof. And uh, she reminds me of, like, 
somebody like an adult who's like on their phone or like reading or something and just like completely invest in what they're doing and like a child or somebody else is like trying to talk to them and they're just like nodding like "Uh uh-huh yep yeah uh uh-huh like responding like rotely without thinking about it and then and then later they're like wait what I don't like what they don't even know what they're saying yes to. It's just this automatic response. That's what Mrs. Allen yeah. reminds me of. And then later, um, uh, like to what you were talking about, I don't think it happens in this chapter, but later, like Mr. Allen comments about like how, oh, I hate these open carriages. I think it's like um, not appropriate for a young lady to be going out in an open carriage with a man. And, and Catherine's like, what, why didn't you tell me that earlier? I've been like, what, you know, like I asked you for permission cause I didn't know what was going on. And you guys were like, yeah, whatever. It, yeah. I think it happens later, but yeah, it just it's, to that it speaks to that, like aloofness and the fact that the adults in the situation are like not paying attention to what's happening. I, it, it feels like also just like, not even that she's on her phone and the kid is trying to talk to her, but that she's like on her phone and there's like, she's at the playground and her kids are like jumping off the monkey bars and like, you know, like, yeah like in very dangerous situations and she's just like not even acknowledging it or something or doesn't even know what's happening where I'm just like oh god what what I would give for like the gardeners to be her to be in this book too or something or you know what I would give for for Catherine to have better people around her. It's just, it really shows you like kind of like why it's so important to have like people, I want to say have good character, but I like hate that phrase, but you know, like really good people around you because like poor Catherine like is surrounded by people she can't really trust at all to give her any advice or how to make her way in this world. And this is the first time she's like really left her quiet town. Right. And this is her first introduction into this society that has all of these weird unspoken rules. Yeah. And uh, she's trying to navigate it by herself, but she's so sheltered and she's so like, earnest that she doesn't um even i i don't even think that that it crosses her mind that like somebody would lie to her the way john thorpe lied to her until she realizes it happened and she's like oh my god (laughs) like people do this like what it's just the shattering uh thing Um, yeah and i feel like it's very lucky that henry tilney seems to find her earnestness and innocence, like, ref- it seems like I you find that, that very scene. refreshing. Yes, like, I love that scene so but much. She, she's, like, putting her foot in her mouth and behaving in a way that, like, no one else really would if they knew yeah. all the rules. And, yeah, and- Jane Austen even comments on it, like, if she were, if she were a proper heroine, you know, she yeah. would have taken offense to the slight that Eleanor gave yes. her and she would have been standoffish herself and it would have turned into this, you know, 
this underlying tension that they have and all of that. But she's just like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want people to be mad at me. Like, please, I really like you. It's so cute. <laughs> it's wonderful and it works out, but I could totally see like a Mr. Tilney like just being like, wait, this this is so inappropriate. This girl yeah. coming up and being like, Why are you so mad at me at the yeah. play? And like yeah. and like just saying all these things that really like she shouldn't be. Yeah. Um and yeah. Oh, but that's why really we like stressed. Henry because he thinks it's cute. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, and he likes her, and then he realizes that she likes him. And no, I love it. I it's love so it. I love that scene. <laughs> I love it. And I'm so happy for them, but just like No, I know this, what you mean. I for sure. Yeah, especially as like, you know, the parentified older sister, blessed child part of church kid yeah. part of me. It's just like wants to like just dive in this book and take care of it. You know what it feels like? It feels like someone going scuba diving for the first time and their instructor is just on their phone being like, oh yeah, here's the thing and here's a dial and just like pushing them into the ocean and she's just like bobbing around. Yeah. Like it's just really um, stressful. Um, I... Um, what I love about this novel and what I think um, makes it such like a genius satire is that, um, you know, we get – so we have Catherine who's be, who's this character who's like really innocent and earnest and um, – you know, in the gothic novels, the heroine would also be very innocent and like not uh, super wise to the world, but she's painted in a way that is much more like helpless and fainting and like, Mm -hmm. you know, all these bad things keep happening to her and the horrible things that happen to her are like, uh, you know, her parent dies and then she, her evil aunt takes her to, uh, this uh, horrible castle and marries this um, Italian guy who's like really awful and tries to sell her um, into marriage and like all of, you know, it's like really, really high stakes stuff. And, um, and the innocence of the character is like what makes her vulnerable and what makes you like want to take care of her and, and, and makes it like really awful, extra awful that all of these bad things are happening. Right. But in this novel, it's like um, Catherine's innocence and earnestness plays such a like um, humorous role Um, and and the interactions. Yeah, it makes her endearing in like a different way um, because she is, you know, in a way she's breaking all of these social norms that um, are actually silly that Jane Austen is commenting yes. on as like, do you see how silly these things are? And like Catherine just barreling through them is like a joy to see because you're just like, ah, yeah, you can fix this problem easily. But um, also like the trouble that Catherine gets into it all seems really low stakes. It's like, oh, it's a misunderstanding, right? Um, yeah. But when you think about like the reality 
of like, you know, I as a person and I'm sure her modern readers cannot relate to, you know, being captured and held hostage in an old medieval Gothic castle. Right. That is not a scenario you're going to find yourself in, but you might very likely find yourself in a scenario where you are trapped in a carriage with a man who has just lied to you and like the and and the risk of what could happen in that situation to your reputation to um yeah just the the societal gossip and all of these things like those are real life stakes that you can relate to and i yeah, when I read these chapters, I'm like, this is the most relatable thing. <laughs> I yeah. feel the anxiety and the anger and the just like everything that Catherine is feeling because I'm like, oh my God, this is just the worst situation. Like, get me out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I almost feel like it It feels like heightened on our end because uh, she's so innocent. She's just mad at John Thorpe for lying to her, but I feel like she still doesn't understand, um, like how dangerous that is. Like yeah. he's behaving in a way that like, um, we do. And so it's like almost like more stressful for us, the reader to read yeah. those chapters. Oh yeah. I love her. I feel like she's acting in a way that's so like embarrassing in an endearing way. And it feels very relatable. Yeah. I, I've been thinking lately about, I don't really know anything about chess, mm-hmm. but I was reading about this chess game where someone won using a move that only beginners use because right. it's really easy to um, outmaneuver this move. And okay. so, but they were playing at like a really high level. And so the person, their opponent, like didn't even expect this move. That was like, yeah, this beginner move. And then they ended up winning. And I just mm. think about that with Catherine, where it's like, she made this like, <laughs> really she's like behaving in a really like innocent very beginner way and uh she's like outmaneuvering the crazy people around her that are much more um yeah aware of what she doesn't Catherine like doesn't even know that it's a game she doesn't even know a game is happening everyone's playing these chess pieces in a game and Catherine's like doesn't even know that she's playing this game and that other people are playing a game and yet somehow she's like stumbling through it and coming out. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's like John Thorpe knows that Henry Tilney is into her and is like stealing her away literally. Um, And then Isabella and, and Catherine's brother are using Catherine as a cover for them to spend more time together. Mm Mm-hmm. And they don't give a shit about like what's really going on with her. Right. They just want her to hang out with John Thorpe so that they have excuses to hang out together. And then the Allens aren't like, aren't fulfilling any of their duties at all. They just want to go to the pump room and show off their clothes. Right. And then Catherine just deals with it all so far. 
Yeah, she's just she's she's left to figure things out on her own, which is also very relatable. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> God. It really did feel like growing up that like everyone else in school like knew this like intricate ballroom dance and yeah. we had no idea what was yeah. happening. Or it was always you felt like you were playing catch up and yeah. trying and 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 like smiling and nodding along like you knew what was happening oh or you understood while in in your brain you're like okay this if i, I if i say this what's going to happen and i've like always trying to like calculate and be a step ahead so that you can like hide yeah. in plain sight and and not seem weird and yeah yeah oh, god yeah um, yeah, like an alien who's like, must not let the yes. humans know yes. <laughs> who I really am. But yes. it's, uh, not, yeah, not the easiest. And I'm sure like most outsiders feel like that's in some situations, but it was just so heightened and it mm -hmm. felt like it never turned off around outsiders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's... uh. Yeah, I feel like I'm just starting to get comfortable with, like, I don't know. I'm I'm going to be 40 in a couple months, mm -hmm. and I feel like I've seen, you know, this number coming at me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it was making me anxious for a little while. And I just had this moment, like, a week ago where I was like, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready yeah. to, like... I'm really enjoying this, like getting older and like not um, like just being out in the world. And, and, and now I have friends that like didn't grow up in the church, but I can reference the church around them when I want to. Yeah. And, and it's not even like, oh, now I need to talk about my trauma. It was like, I was out to dinner with friends last night. It was so much fun. And we were talking about smoke machines. Uh-huh. Because it was just Halloween. Yeah. And um, and I was talking about, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but like the the fact that Andrew saw Damon M's rider once. I have not heard this story before. Okay. And I'm very interested. <laughs> I need should we to explain who Damon him? Oh have God. we explained who Damon is yet? I didn't even, you know, to be honest, I didn't even try and explain to my friends really who she was. I was just like, it was. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like a well, high up person. Well, I feel like that is a short answer. I told yeah. them Reverend Moon's mother-in-law was sort an important of. person in our yeah. church. I did not give the asterisk thing, which is that <laughs> she's being channeled by. <laughs> it's actually this rando like woman who was younger than Reverend Moon, but she said she was embodying the spirit of his mother-in-law. So they called her by that name. Yes. Yeah. And to make it even crazier, her name was, we called her Daemonim, which if you, it's a Korean name, but if you write it in English, it says like demon. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? And no. It's like, <laughs> um, 
Anyway, so this really creepy lady who is like in charge of like a whole bunch of shady shit in the church and like was in charge of like cleansing everyone's spirits. She would like go around on these tours and we were like kind of had like mostly left the church, but, you know, weren't fully out. And Andrew was supposed to like help get set up for like help set up. Um, for one of her visits and to LA Mm -hmm. and he was given a list of everything she required. And I think she needed like a, I think she might've needed a crystal ball, but I definitely remember. Yeah. That she needed a smoke machine. And I was like, (laughs) Oh, we have one in the, like, don't your parents have one left over from Halloween? And He was like, oh, no, this is like a top of the line, like thousand dollar. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a crazy expensive smoke machine. And and then I'm like, OK, so she didn't travel with it. She made like every place buy a like, buy one. smoke machine. Yeah. Yeah. Like a multi grand uh, smoke machine. Anyway, why does so she I need always- a smoke machine? I don't remember smoke machines at those. At all. To be fair, I only went to one when she was in Philadelphia once and it's mostly a blur. And I was like very dissociated. During it. I, was, I went to a couple the first, but I feel like she could have used a smoke machine. Um, I feel like this was like later on and I don't even know if Andrew and I attended this specific event. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first time I went to one, I was, it was at Belvedere in upstate New York and I was in like an overflow tent. So I didn't actually see her. Yeah. And then the second one, I was so high up in the stands. I don't, yeah. Like you, I also don't remember like what happened on stage really. It was, that was a blur. Yeah. But I mean, of course she needed a smoke machine. <laughs> She's like standing there with like, that woman was like so fucking creepy. I feel like she like scared me like out of everyone else. Like, Mm. most people in the church. I can't even, I I can't even visualize what she looks like in my mind. I feel like she's always just been like this, like phantom presence, like this person that you hear about. Like, I don't, I don't even really know what she looks like other than that. She's a random Korean lady. Well, it's also confusing because I feel like the pictures that were around of her, like with the other pictures of the true family, I'm like, yeah. was that pictures of her now or like before she died? Oh. Like, which human was that? Oh, of, you mean Hak Jahan's actual mom? Yeah. Or this yeah. woman who says she's channeling. Yeah, 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 for sure. And they just use the name, the same name. So you yeah. don't know which person it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do find, I mean, like, she was, like, so responsible for, like, so much awful, like, things in the church. The whole Chung Kyung thing. And I know we've talked about yeah. Chung Kyung before. She was, like, that's, that was, like, her domain was Chung Kyung. Yeah. So I feel like she's responsible for so many people's trauma, including my own. But I also feel like a little part of me is like kind of admires what a scammer she is because (laughs) 
Like, apparently, she got, like, a lot of Chungkyung thing. Like, a lot of property is, like, in her name somehow. Oh. Yeah. And I'm, like, and now I think she's, like, in some kind of dispute with the rest of the True family where it's, like, there's, like, a golf course or, I don't know, she's, like, funneled money and, like, now some things are in her husband's name. Yeah. And I'm, like, oh, my God, you totally, like, you love to showed- see a scammer get scammed. Yes. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I find that very interesting. But um, yeah. I don't know how I started talking about Damon. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I do feel like I um, am finally <laughs> feeling old enough where and like therapized enough where I can like have a self that can be out in the world without yes. feeling like I don't always belong. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. taken a couple decades. Yeah. 40's great. I've been loving it so I'm far. I'm very excited about it now. Yeah. I always have that moment before like a big birthday where I'm just like, oh, what's happening? And then I'm like, actually, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> I'm like ready for it. I'm like, totally. do I need I, to buy an extra pair of Birkenstocks or like what's happening? I absolutely had um, excitement for turning 40 and I had a similar feeling of like when I turned 30, yeah. I, I, it was, it was this feeling of like, because we were so young doing mm-hmm. all of this crazy stuff. Um, I was like, I felt like I was 30, like I've been acting like an adult, like most of my life. Yeah. But now my age actually like reflects how I feel and it seems appropriate. Mm. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, cause we were so young when we got married. I was really young when I had kids. Like I always felt like odd in that way. And then 30, I was like, okay, like I, this is this is I feel normal now like a 30 year old is supposed to be married and have kids like that's a yeah. totally appropriate age and to feel like yeah it's just like our childhoods were so um stunted and yeah um, we were so parentified that it was like yeah I was burnt out by the time I was 16 right and so totally <laughs> it's like I feel like that makes a lot of sense, but I think for me, it was this always this pressure to perform and like this, like, well, you need to like be working to save the world. And how are you trying to save the world? And like, what have you done with your life? And like all these like very unrealistic expectations being placed on my shoulders. So I feel like every time, even still to this day before, like a birthday or something like that, I feel this twinge of like, oh, I haven't accomplished enough. Yeah. I haven't done like all of these things. Like I remember feeling like this way, like before I was 10. Oh, me too. I I feel like that's how I felt on my younger birthdays. And as I've gotten older, like pieces of that keep falling away. So, and then at 40, you're like, I don't give a fuck. And that's the 40. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's, yeah. I remember, I remember being a child and finding out about this, uh, this painting prodigy who was only nine and she was Mm -hmm. painting paintings that the, that Hollywood celebrities were buying. And I was like, oh my God, she's my age. And like, 
and I haven't done anything. And I was like so embarrassed when people would bring her up and um, because I'd be like, oh, I'm so ashamed that that's not me. Yeah. And uh, I should be working that hard. And I was yeah. like, you know, seven or eight. And uh, yeah. So three decades plus of feeling that way. And mm-hmm. now I'm finally, yeah, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to just be like Shlubby Akina who, <laughs> yeah, is just doing her thing over in this corner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a wonder we're all still alive and have like oh a God. modicum of, mental health like it's just (laughs) and that mental health is like still held together with like a little bit of washi tape and some glue that's peeling yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah it's um i know sometimes i i do try and actually incorporate that into my life of just being like okay you know it's nine in the morning and you remembered to have your meds and your coffee. Mm-hmm. Like, good job, Akina. Yeah. Like, just trying to give myself like some gold stars for just doing the bare minimum. It's hard to focus on anything else when you're worried about wrinkles in your dress. If the thought of ruining your beautiful clothes is taking over your life and getting in the way of it really matters, try Mrs. Allen's dryer sheets. The patented wrinkle-free technology will keep your garments fresh all day long so you can get back to enjoying the play or advising your young charge on important moral choices. Don't let wrinkles put a wrinkle in your life. Mrs. Allen's dryer sheets, available wherever home goods are sold. Were there any uh, any sentences that jumped out at you? For I, I uh, not necessarily the the sentence in general, but I just love that scene where like Catherine uh, basically uh, calls him out, calls Henry out of being like where she says. Uh, you know, like, oh, I'm sure by your look, you, you know, when you looked at me in the box, you were angry. And he said, I angry. I could have no right. And she's like, um, well, nobody would have thought you had no right who saw your face. <laughs> and he's just like uh, <laughs> called out. I know. <laughs> and he loves it. He loves it. He's like, OK, he's so happy. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> um. I do feel like this book is full of dum-dums. Like, even Catherine, Catherine is such a dum-dum. And yeah. <laughs> I feel like she, the sad part about it is that, like, there's not, like, all these amazing quips like you get with yeah. Elizabeth Bennet and her father, like, or Darcy or, you know. Yeah. Any of these uh, people who, yeah, are smart because <laughs> But I did find it also funny from that scene when when uh, Catherine is still talking to Henry Tilney and she said and she's looking for backup and she mm-hmm. says, but I had 10,000 times rather have been with you. Now, how would I not, Mrs. Allen? And Mrs. Allen says, my dear, you tumble my gown. <laughs> and uh, so Mrs. Allen is just concerned 
Not with her young charge, like, essentially professing her love <laughs> for Henry Tilney, like, right next to her. But she's like, um, you're getting too close to my gown and you're crushing it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I just find that hilarious. I also really liked this um, in terms of, like, a piece of writing uh, at the the very last couple sentences of chapter 11 where um, Jane Austen does one of her asides um, and it's reminding us that she's like, I'm writing a satire, guys, again. And she goes, and now I may dismiss my heroine to the sleepless couch, which is yes. the true heroine's portion, to a pillow strewed with thorns and wet with tears. And lucky may she think herself if she get another good night's rest in the course of the next three months. <laughs> Which is so I funny. did really, really like that line. I'm glad you mentioned <laughs> it again. That's uh, great. <laughs> um, uh, have you been reading or writing or listening or watching anything fun? Um, thank you for asking. I have been listening to uh, Taylor Swift's uh, re-record of 1989 okay. and the new Vault Tracks. I haven't been reading much um, recently. What, what is 1989 one of her first albums? No, 1989 is like um, her fifth album. Oh, wow. and so it's right in the middle, but it was like her main transition to pop. So it was like the big pop album that she won a bunch of awards for and it's got shake it off blank space Uh, like all of these like major like radio pop hits so it was like it's like the you know the album um which i was i wasn't when it first came out i was not like i never listened to the whole album you know Mm -hmm. i just heard like the radio hits um but it's fun like every song is a bop it, it's one of those songs that you like or one of those albums you put on and just like dance to in the shower or like mm. play and blast in the car or whatever. Like it's it's very fun. And um, the vault tracks are uh, what are really the vault tracks. So um, because she Taylor is re-recording all of her music right. that was previously owned by her old recording label and now is owned by scooter Braun, who we hate um uh every time she re-records she adds like you know four to five extra songs that um Mm. theoretically she wrote during that time and that didn't make it onto the album and so they're they're like just songs that she hasn't been able to put on another album yet. So they're called vault tracks. So, um, oh yeah. And some of the vault tracks in the other albums are like honestly some of my favorite songs of hers. Oh. Um, like they're really good. Um, and so these vault tracks are really fun, and um, everyone is remarking on them because, like, one of them is very obviously about Harry Styles, and like, you know, she oh, makes a lot of They did very briefly, and 1989 has a lot of references to their mm-hmm. relationship okay. in general, and but these songs are like. Uh, Harry Styles is one of her exes that was always like everybody likes and they're like basically friends now you like you see them all the mm-hmm. time 
um, you know, they like talk at award shows or like give each other a hug and they're like, hey, you know, they're friendly. And so everyone's like, yeah, we like Harry. He's 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 one of the good ones. Um, but but th- these vault tracks that she released are like scathing. <laughs> <laughs> like really like ooh uh and it just uh everyone's still fine everyone's like it's fine they were harry was young like you know but i think she did him a favor by not releasing them at that time and like mm-hmm. waiting <laughs> years to like re-releases actually some of the vault a, a lot of um one of her vault tracks on red is pretty like scathing too of for jake gyllenhaal the ex and um she dated jake gyllenhaal oh kina (laughs) i know she dated didn't she date john john mayer yeah yeah so that's from speak now era and that's uh yeah dear john um and a lot of red is uh jake gyllenhaal who has like isn't jake gyllenhaal like way older than her yeah yeah he is okay yeah um that's why in the the re-release of red she put a 10 minute version of the song all too well which is uh supposedly about their relationship and one of the lines is that in that was like she says that you know he says that their their age difference is a problem you know if we were closer in age it would have been fine and then one of her lines is uh you know that um uh i get older but your lovers stay my age which <laughs> i know that's the thing with leonardo dicaprio i read that his current girlfriend wasn't alive when the movie titanic came oh, out oh no yeah Yep. So, um, yeah, so that's, you know, she's doing she's doing these guys a favor in a, in a sense by releasing them uh, after the fact. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. People are with Harry. It's fine because people like Harry and they're like he was he was actually age appropriate for her. Yeah. And you know, whatever. It's just like it's all in the past. And Harry has always like taken it in stride, too. He's like in interviews people have asked him how how do you feel about like her writing songs about you and he's like i it's fine like she's a great songwriter i'm you know whatever that's what you do as a songwriter you know um and uh whereas some of her other exes have been like really petty and mad about it (coughs) john mayer um really (laughs) yeah yeah. Uh, also, there's. I just want to. I just want to be clear because I am a gayler. Uh, one of the songs that everybody's saying is about Harry Styles. I'm like, no. This is this is the, one of her queer relationships. Like, it's just clearly. Uh. It's called "Now That We Don't Talk," and she's talking about like being friends and like I can't pretend that it's platonic. And I'm like, no. <laughs> This is not about a dude. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Good to know that that's still around. Oh, it's alive uh, and well. <laughs> okay. Because I know she has a new boyfriend. Yes. Um, Travis Kelsey. Yeah. 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 Travis. Yeah. Yes. I have to say their names together are very confusing. 
Travis and Taylor. I'm like, yeah. Tyler, tra- tra- I don't know. Yeah. Just- trailer. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which we don't know. Is it a real relationship? I don't know. It could be. <laughs> you know? How are they? Is he younger than her? Because if he's playing football now, he can't be that old. I don't know. Yeah, I think they're probably pretty similar age wise. I I actually don't know. I don't really know much about him at all. But he seems like a nice guy. And if it's and if it's a real relationship, I'm happy for them. (laughs) I'm just saying we don't really know. (laughs) There's so much doubt in your voice. Um. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you for that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. How about you? What are you uh, listening to, watching, reading? Uh. So, God, I feel like such a broken record. Where I'm like, what did we talk about last time? But, um, I did finish the uh the hopping hor- the hopping vampires of Hong Kong play, uh, playlist on Criterion Collection. Nice. So that's um one movie, the Encounters of the Spooky Kind, and then four movies, Mr. Vampire one through four. Uh Mr. Vampires one through four are not actually sequels of each other, but mm-hmm. a lot of reoccurring characters come up and then there's like but they like play different characters or a lot of the actors are the same, but they play mm-hmm. different characters and it jumps around in time. And it's just lovely. I would recommend them all. Um, uh, I just really love, I realize I love me like art and movies and stuff that have like a handmade quality. Mm. And it's like in in these movies, you can see like the makeup on the vampires and stuff. And, you know, you like the effects are mostly like just so uh, like, yeah, like I said, there's like this handmade quality to everything that I love um, that make it like, you know, not super scary, but also like the, you know, there's a lot of stunt actors in the film and they're doing like amazing sequences sometimes so it's not like you're just watching like a fourth grade play or something there's like I don't want to denigrate it I feel like these are very talented people but there's something so like um fascinating about these movies um to me yeah um and then I've been uh what I've been reading a few books I read the one I just read, um, let me find the author. Uh, I just read a novel called Big Swiss. Have you heard of it? No. I feel like you would probably like it. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, by Jen Began, B-E-A-G-I-N. Okay. It's about uh, this woman who's like kind of a loser who's like in her 40s or 50s. Um, and she lives in Hudson, New York, and she's a, she just took a job as a, um, uh, trans transcriber for mm-hmm. a sex therapist. And so oh. she's like writing out like all of his sessions. And then she like falls in love with this woman who shows up uh-huh. and then she like meets the woman in real life. Oh, cute. Um, and so it is like weird 
and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there's a decent amount of uh, lesbian sex in it. Um, nice. <laughs> there's also, I feel like I, um, I read this this summer, but I read the matrix, uh, the matrix, which also has a decent amount of lesbian sex. That's why I was just thinking about it. Um, <laughs> Lauren Groff wrote that book and I just bought her new book, but I haven't read it yet. Um, mm. I think it's called, uh, dot, 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 uh, the vaster wilds. Uh-huh. Uh, my friend said she read a really interesting interview of Lauren Groff where she said she's trying to write stories about like, instead of like places where like men don't exist at all. Um, yeah, I did like the matrix, but it made me really excited to like read her new book as mm-hmm. well. Um, and then I read one more book. I actually read a couple books. Anyway, last book though is um, uh, by Rebecca Mackay. Did you read her book about um, the AIDS epidemic, the great believers? No. Um, but I've, I've heard of it. Yeah. I really liked that one. I feel like as a child who grew up in the tail of the end of the eighties and the nineties, like my, like the AIDS epidemic was always something in my periphery, but I yeah. didn't know that much about it. Mostly because like all my information about it came from like Rush Limbaugh and my parents. Yeah. So it was like very warped. Yeah. Um, and then it was like really interesting. Oh, by the way, I went to the Reagan National Library, uh-huh. his like presidential library. And yeah. they like have like a they had a like a little display about like with like Nancy Reagan's like AIDS pin. And they were trying to totally rewrite the history of Reagan and like make it seem like he's like he and his wife did did stuff about AIDS instead of like making the situation so much worse. Anyway, um, I felt like this novel, like showed me a side, I know it's fiction, but I feel like it like showed me a side of that time that I didn't have access to. Yeah. And I really, really, really loved it for that reason. Um, especially, although it did make me like, (laughs) you know, 30 or 40 years later, like, feel like, oh, my God, Reagan was such a terrible president. I I knew this beforehand. Right. Like, intellectually, but it gave me this rage that I was like, oh, this is nice. This is decades late. But, like, yeah. yeah, So I really loved The Great Believers. I feel like this book, she her new book is called I Have Some Questions for You. And it's about an unsolved murder on a, on a boarding school in New Hampshire. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I did really like it. It kind of, it feels like very Donna Tartt to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I would recommend it. I feel like there's something that felt like kind of loose about it. Um, And I think I still like the great believers a little bit more, but it was definitely still a good read. Um, yeah, I am feeling like a little bit, I was feeling a little bit sad because um, I don't know when this episode will go out, but Halloween is over and I was like a little bit sad because I just love all the like shitty vampire movies I've been watching. 
But recently I've gotten really, I just realized like, oh, it's time for Christmas movies, which I don't have a lot of actual Christmas movies I like to watch, but I feel like there's certain movies that you have to watch around Christmas. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm really excited. I'll probably watch the Harry Potter movies with my brother. Those are Christmas. I'm now I have plans to watch the nineties little women. <gasps> yes. I watched that last Christmas. Yeah. I feel like it's that's absolutely a Christmas most, movie. Yeah. Even the book. I mean, the book, the page it one on Christmas. Yeah. Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Christmas is really important. I feel like um, I'll probably watch Casablanca and the Royal Tenenbaums, <gasps> even though those are not technically Christmas movies, but I feel like something about them feels Christmas to me. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering if you have any Christmas movies that you might want to watch mm. coming up. Or just um, like, I feel like cold winter movies. Cold winter movies. Yeah. Little Women for sure. Um, yeah. We always watch Muppets Christmas Carol. Um, oh, right. On Christmas Eve, either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And that was like a thing that we started in my family um, it, as a child. And now we do it with my kids. Nice. Because um, it's the best one. It's the best Christmas Carol. <laughs> Christmas Carol like stresses me out. It's like all the things we were just talking about with Damon M and like getting yeah. older where I'm just like, no, no, I don't want that to be true. But that's why you have to mix it with the Muppets, and then it's delightful. But then, like, Kermie's little son is, like, all sick. Tiny Tim. But he yeah. lives in the end. Spoiler. I'm really glad you spoiled it, because I was like, wait, does he die? I feel like. In the version where Scrooge is bad, and... uh Yes, he dies, but then that's but then Scrooge changes his life and then and becomes a nice person and then miraculously Tiny Tim lives. I don't know, maybe well, Scrooge paid for his health care. That's probably why. Um, <laughs> a Christmas Carol is Charles Dickens, right? It is, and it is ultimately anti-Semitic because it's Charles Dickens and Scrooge is basically. Oh yeah. Oh duh. The character of Scrooge is as very is absolutely modeled after a Jewish stereotype of a money lender or something, you know, Scrooge is a money lender. Oh my god, how did I not know that? Yeah. Thank you. I know. So it's uh ugh, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but I never really <laughs> I never really liked Charles Dickens. I keep meaning He's to like jerk. give him another try and I'm like, uh I, I love, I, oh God, uh, some of, of his writing cities. is so good. Yeah. Tale of Two Cities is really good. Um, yeah, he was not I'll a good person. Go. He was not no, a good I person. Do, I also find for his sure, writing. But some of his writing was really good. All, but, um, but also definitely like the, his prejudices are absolutely in his writing. Um, in, in Tale of Two Cities, like you could tell how much he hates the French. Like it's just oh, yeah. French bashing the entire I did story. really like A Tale of Two Cities when I read it in high school with a teacher who was in love with Sidney Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, and she made it come alive in a way that like I've tried to reread it since. And I'm just like, Bleh. I do feel like his work was written for um, for serial 
release yes. and he was paid by the word and it feels like I don't actually like his writing that much. It feels like too wordy. And yeah. I mean, like I'm much more of a Hemingway kind of freak where just give me like a story in like three words or whatever, you know, yeah. like I love uh, microfiction and Lydia Davis. And I just, um, yeah, it just feels like he's beating around the bush over and over and over. And I can't I really the, stand it. But. The thing that's satisfying about Dickens is that like, his bad guys are bad, are really bad. His good guys are really good. Mm. And and usually in the end, the bad guys get what's coming to them and the good guys get a reward. And so it's like this very like kind of formulaic, you know, it, it feels like a, a law and order episode, like a procedure, oh. like things get bad, really bad, 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 bad for the main characters. But then at the end, everything gets fixed and you're like, yay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you just like totally now have sold me on it because sometimes <laughs> I need that. You know, so I feel like though Scrooge was, uh, or the Christmas Carol was written at a time where like horror Christmas was like yes. a really big deal. Well, Victorian Christmases in general were like, uh, like haunted. Like Christmas was, at, yeah, in general. Yeah. Just like, yeah. yeah, where you would sit around and tell ghost stories and stuff. So there's yeah. a lot of new reprints. I think maybe Penguin is putting them out of stories that were really popular during that time um, that are like ghostly Christmas stories. And I've been collecting them. I bought one last year that I didn't have a chance to read, but I already have it out and ready for me. Um, I got a book by Daphne du Maurier <gasps> called The Apple That's Tree. Because a lot of these ghost stories are very, they're like novellas or they're yeah. just like, you know, short stories. Yeah. And so um, I have that ready to go because I really want to try and do the Icelandic Christmas tradition, the book flood. Yeah. Where, you spend Chris, where everyone gets a new book Christmas Eve and then you... Um, and you sit around and drink hot chocolate and just read the whole day. Yes. So I'm trying to get that going, which now right. I come to think of it, maybe I should actually decide who I'm inviting over if I invite anyone over. <laughs> um, and yeah, I want to have book flood over here. Um, nice. And so I'm trying to get some horror ghost stories that are Christmas like from that time period. I'll let you know what else I find that's out there. Cause a lot of them have like really cute covers and I am so <laughs> into books. It's amazing covers. Absolutely. Um, speaking of Victorian Christmas, we uh, also at our house started a tradition of um, we now have a Christmas ghost that we hang up every year along with the tree. And it's like, part of our Christmas tradition is to have Christmas ghosts up because one year the Halloween decoration of this little ghost, it got wrapped up in with the Christmas decorations and it had like this red bow tangled up in it and I couldn't get it untangled. And I just hung up the ghost with the red bow and I was like, it's Christmas ghost. And so now we have Christmas ghost every year. That sounds amazing. It's great. Um, <laughs> and uh, not to bring it back to the Roman empire. Please but do. Like, 
I am like so into like Saturnalia, let's call it. <laughs> honestly, yes. And also just like figuring out like as someone who really doesn't identify with like Christian beliefs anymore, yeah. just like how do I make these holidays for me? And so I'm thinking about things like Yule, yeah. Saturnalia, uh but, like, I feel like some of these, like, weird pagan things get also co-opted by, like, neo-Nazis occasionally. Yeah, and, like, so, new age spirituality stuff. Yeah, yeah for sure. So I'm, but I'm just, like, ooh, fir trees and, like. Very pagan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just, like, figuring out. I like that a lot of these are events, like, Yule, that is, like, you know, 12 days long or something. Mm-hmm. Last year, I tried really hard because I do bookkeeping on the side, I, a lot of bookkeeping takes place at the end of the year, the beginning yeah. of the year. And I tried really hard to like get 12 days where I told my clients, like, don't contact me right. <laughs> like for any like last minute emergencies. Yeah. Um, and I did. And it just like having this like nice, quiet breath of like time, mm-hmm. especially like right after Christmas, like just taking yeah. that time to just like, recharge where everyone else is done and I'm still like baking like cookies or you know just like having a nice little quiet time for myself so I've been thinking about that a lot like how do I celebrate these holidays in a way that feels like to be like authentic to myself but you know yeah kind of yeah so that's where I'm at and uh I think a a Christmas ghost I feel like (laughs) Yeah, Christmas ghost, scare like, you know, it's Casablanca. a cute one. It's not super scary. Yeah, Casablanca. I love that. Um, <laughs> I love Casablanca. I haven't watched it in a long time. You know what? It's not very Christmassy. Well, actually, I need to rewatch it. But my favorite favorite movie is Holiday with Katherine Hepburn and Cary mm, Grant. Yeah, you know, people love the Philadelphia story, but I have to say this one is better. Mm. Um, so I'll probably wrap that in. You know what? I feel like a big scene takes place on uh New Year's, so maybe I'll make that there my New go. Year's movie and just have to plot this stuff out in cool, advance. Cool, cool, cool. Anyway, um yes, Roman Empire, Northanger Abbey will pick up with chapters 13 and 14. Yes. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is uh, produced and edited by me, Laurel Nakai. I also do the music. Akina Cox does the artwork. Uh, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear what you think. You can email us at uh, janeaustinculturenight at gmail.com. Also, check me out on TikTok at janecultpod. And we'll see you next time. I do feel like Trader Joe's enabled me to get to my final form as a basic bitch this year where I um, I bought out like almost every single pumpkin flavored thing I could find there.